And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's the hop day edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff is supposed to join me this morning. You know, you never know with him. Sometimes he's here, sometimes he's not. We'll, we'll find out if he shows up today. Uh, anyway, big day, of course. Uh, it's CPI day, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes here. But, you know, this is what, you know, everybody's kind of focused on right now. Markets, of course, have been... Uh, a little bit, you know, kind of anticipatory of what that inflation number might mean. But, um, you know, the, the you know, kind of the other issues uh, surrounding what's going on right now. The NFIB report yesterday uh, showed a little bit of improvement, and that's not surprising, right? Small businesses starting to feel a little bit more optimistic about their outlook. And again, we go back and we talk about, you know, what drives the economy. Yesterday, I was doing a couple of podcasts yesterday with different people. And it was interesting because everybody's still very, you know, negative about the outcome of this year, right? Oh, yeah, the market's up this year. But what do you expect next, you know, for the last half of this year? And, and you know, surely this can't continue, et cetera. Well, yeah, it can, actually. And the reason is, is that higher asset prices, and we've talked about this before, leads to improved consumer confidence. And we're seeing that really across the board. The consumer confidence indexes are improving. The National Federation of Independents, small businesses are seeing improvement. Their expectation for sales is beginning to rise. They're becoming more optimistic about the future. And that's because, why? Because markets are up. As markets go up, that creates a better sentiment among consumers. And yes, there's tons of reasons to be negative and pessimistic, absolutely. We still have issues coming along that uh, can certainly derail all of this, right? The student loan payment restarting. We talked about that, recently wrote an article on the website if you want all the gory details of that, but that's 12 to $15 billion a month, potentially that won't be available for spending later this year. Now, of course, you know, it's Amazon Prime Day right now, so everybody today and tomorrow is going to be out spending money on Amazon Prime deals. But later this year, and particularly as we start getting into the holiday shopping season, that's when those, those student loan payments, if they restart, and of course the Biden administration right now is trying to figure an end run around the Supreme Court ruling to ensure that students don't have to pay their student loan debt. But that could be a very big hit to retail sales. Retail sales make up 40% of personal consumption expenditures, which is 70% of GDP. So it's not insignificant. But right now, the markets don't care about that. Rising markets improve consumer confidence, and we're seeing that in the data. We're seeing, it, we're seeing consumers becoming more confident. It also eases financial conditions. And this is the one thing really the Fed doesn't want, which is easier financial conditions because that potentially leads to inflation. And, and, and honestly, you know, the Federal Reserve has to be concerned here about what's going on with the markets, at least to some degree, because they know that if you improve consumer confidence at a time when you're trying to bring inflation down, that means that consumers are going to go out, they're going to spend more money, and that leads to higher prices. Let's talk about companies for just a moment on this front. How do companies right now, what are the top two tools for companies to protect their profit margins? Their top two tools right now are basically raise prices and reduce their cost. 
Not surprising, right? That's always the, the two go-tos that companies have, but that's what they're utilizing right now to protect profit margins, raising prices. What are higher prices? That's inflation. So again, the very thing that the Fed is trying to, to fight and trying to bring down and why we're so glued to the CPI number today is being worked against by the financial markets. So at some point, the question becomes who loses? Either the Fed's gonna lose this game or the markets are gonna lose. And don't know which one that's gonna be, but we'll figure it out when we get there. But this is the thing we have to keep a watch on. And most importantly, as I said, you know, as markets go up, we get a lot of exuberance, and that's what's happening. Where there's this fear of missing out, we're seeing you know the junkiest of stocks you know rallying the most right now, uh, particularly over the last couple of days, and so we're starting to see a little bit of this rotation in the markets, and and we're seeing this kind of turn. But this is that speculative activity coming back into the markets, and not surprising that's going to happen. Okay, let's talk about the CPI report. Here's what you need to know before the bell. CPI report out this morning and expectations are a little bit kind of all over the board. Uh, ranges are from point, a 0.5% increase all the way down to flat. So basically a no increase at all. That brings you a wide range of potential outcomes for the markets and something that, you know, every, every kind of inflation report we look at this is expectation for market ranges based on the CPI report. And this is how silly this whole thing has become. We're all just becoming betters against what the CPI report's going to be. It's almost like trading places with Eddie Murphy where they're betting on the, out, the, 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 the outcome of the Orange Futures contract. So here we go. Uh, this morning, the two things are going on. The CPI report, if it comes in very hot, so if it comes in at 0 0.3, 0 0.4, 0 0.5, you're looking at a potential decline of up to 1.5%. That would bring the market below the 20-day moving average if that would occur. Anything closer to a zero print, zero to 0.1 to 0.2, potentially looking at either a retest of recent highs or a solid breakout uh, rise of at least one and a half percent if it's closer to zero um, above the recent highs. So again, the market's gonna kind of make a move to the upside. This would not be surprising here, of course, at all, because we've been kind of seeing this already. Um, we've had this consolidation of prices here over the last couple of weeks, and this is something we talked about. When we triggered this MACD sell signal, we said that upside was probably limited, and that's really been the case here now for the last couple of weeks. Uh, market prices are getting very compressed. We're trading between the recent highs and the 20-day moving average. That compression is going to break out one side or the other, and because of that very tight range, that's going to lead to a more exacerbated move to the upside or downside. That's how you're going to get that one to one and a half percent clip in one direction or the other. Um, this is very similar to what we saw here back in April and May when we got that last sell signal on the, on the MACD. Markets just traded sideways for almost a month and a half, about 45 days. Finally triggered a buy signal, broke out, markets ran to the upside. So again, this is kind of the same type of technical setup that we're dealing with right here at the moment. And again, this is all going to really be kind of based upon today at least, what the CPI report says. Kind of everybody is compressed price in anticipation of this report. So a hot reading, look for a break to the downside below the 20-day moving average. That would potentially set up an eventual retest of the 50-day moving average. A breakout to the upside would be a closer read to zero on that CPI report. If we're somewhere around 0.2, 
um, kind of in line with expectations. Markets may not do a whole lot today. So again, this could either be kind of a ho-hum day or we could see a, a pretty big move in one direction or the other. We'll see what happens. But eventually this compression of price is going to end in one direction or the other. If it ends with a breakout to the upside, uh, equity exposures need to be increased. If we break to the downside, you'll have a better opportunity to increase exposure at uh, some lower level. But that's just kind of where the market dynamics are running right now in the markets. And, we're, and again, we're just all focused on this inflation report. Why? Because it will tell us maybe, possibly, what the Fed will do next. If the inflation report is very weak today, look for the Fed to maybe start edging off of their commitment to two more rate hikes. We'll see what the futures do today when CPI reports, but that's what you need to know before the bell. Now, coming back from the break, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff. Couple of things to get into. Why your first $100,000 that you need to save is the most important. We'll get into that and flaws that people are making in their financial planning process, all coming up today with Danny Ratliff right here on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Declare your financial independence and prepare for the second half of 2023 with the RIA Mid-Year Economic Review. Saturday, July 22nd. With Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Chief Investment Strategist Lance Roberts. Get our report card for the market so far and what you need to know to invest profitably for the rest of the year. Register now for the RIA Mid-Year Economic Review, Saturday, July 22nd, with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Sam Roberts, of course. Danny Ratliff joining me. Good morning, Danny. How are you? Good morning. Great. How are Good. you? Awesome. So, uh, interesting comment uh, just recently from Charlie Munger talking. Uh, of course, you know, Charlie Munger is 950 years old. Um, he's the guy hanging. just won't quit. I know, right? Him and Methuselah. Um, you don't know that. Go read your Bible. Um, the significance of amassing your first hundred thousand dollars cannot be underestimated, and it's a you know it's a true statement. You know, there's there's a you know kind of an old saying is like, oh, the first million's the hardest to make, right? And then after that, it gets easier. And the reason is is that once you you can accumulate some capital, that's where you have the ability to start investing and creating more money. Right. And so the, the big problem that we have in this country today, of course, and, and we've talked about the statistics here on the show, you know, so many times, kind of ad nauseum, you know, 80 percent of Americans have less than five hundred dollars in the bank. You know, the average 401k plan is less than one year's salary uh, in most cases. And we're talking about the median median salary of fifty five to sixty thousand dollars. So, again, most people have less than one year's income saved up for retirement. And, you know, really just speaks to the dire nature of the financial community uh, at, at large in the country. And we've done a very poor job of educating 
people about how to save money. Um, of course, we've turned financial markets into casinos. So, you know, making money in the markets is, you know, fun for the moment, but typically turns into losses down the road, as we saw in 2022, uh, where most of the stuff that people were chasing in 2021 with all of their, you know, newfound money coming in from the government of, you know, $5 trillion, they went through it in the market, they bought Bitcoin and, you know, meme stocks and everything else and wound up losing it all. Um, that's what happens to most people. Um, because they wind up chasing market returns rather than focusing on important things like, am I growing my money over time to, you know, make this a bigger pot of money in the future? And we get too wrapped up with what's happened over the last six months rather than what's happened over the last three years. And this is why people consistently make financial mistakes time after time after time. You know, and the reason that Wall Street gets you to focus on what's happened yesterday, this year, year to date, and they put out the and I'm and I'm actually about to publish an article on our website, um, you know as well. And I just actually just did on Tuesday posting one, talking about financial risk does it decline over time, and you know Wall Street tells you is like well if your mutual fund didn't beat the index last year you need to change your mutual fund. Well the reason that Wall Street tells you this. And the reason that Wall Street ties you to the returns of the market from one day to the next, one month to the next, one year to the next, is they want to create movement in money. They want you to sell whatever you have and buy something else. And this is why investors repeatedly buy last year's hot performers to get into this year's worst performers. You know, energy last year, super hot. Everybody's piling into it. This year, it's the worst performing sector in the market. But money in motion creates fees for Wall Street. It doesn't create returns for you. And, you know, this is the, the part that, that we don't teach our kids, right, about growing money over time and that it doesn't require you to be super aggressive. It just requires you to be patient to allow it to grow. And so the first $100,000, it's the hardest to make, right? It's it's hard to save up $100,000. 80% of Americans will tell you $100,000 is very difficult to save up. But once you get to $100,000, the world kind of opens up. I can do a lot of things with $100,000. I can go buy rental property. I can invest it conservatively in the markets. I can do a whole variety of things to create that hundred, make that $100,000 grow. But that $100,000 isn't going to make you rich. The $100,000 will help increase your wealth, but it's your savings rate ultimately that's going to make you wealthy and what you do with it. Start a business, build a business. The vast majority of the wealth in the country is people taking advantage of capitalism. They start a business, they invest in it, they have to take capital that that was near and dear to their heart <laughs> and there was in savings and they're like, oh, I feel good, I have this money and I'm going to take this money, I'm going to invest it in risk. I'm going to start this business and I hope it works out for me. And if it does, you know, I'll make a lot more money. But that's how the majority of wealth is built. It's built by investing in businesses and it's built by growing, but it's built by taking capital and, and making it work. And, and Danny, this is something you work with a lot on, on financial planning, you know, with people as well. Yeah, I but, think. Go ahead. But yeah, but no, I was just going to say, but, you know, it, it's, you know, we get distracted from the, the, the long term goal follow the short-term narrative. And I think it's really easy to, to for that to happen. In fact, it's probably really common. We visit with a lot of people nearing retirement lands who are like, I've got to be super aggressive. 
right now I've got to get to a certain amount just to make sure that my plan works. And unfortunately, when we take a ton of risk, you know, if we think and I always put it in perspective, of, okay, what if you go up 10 or 20%? Is that life changing? Most of the time, not. Right. But what if you go down 10 or 20%? That's a whole nother ball game, right? And so I think some of the bigger issues with this is just the conception of like, okay, you can save money. And, and we forget about the human capital that, that you possess. And this is the most important thing is that you're saving and, and the old school uh, mantra of pay yourself first. Mm. And this is what people struggle to do. Like you mentioned with the stats, I mean, they're, they're troubling. But at the end of the day, if we can put these funds aside on a regular basis, I mean, I see a lot of people will, they, they write in and they say, hey, I've, I don't have much money, but I need, a, I need a financial planner. I need to, you know, how do we beat this market? Right. right? It's like, you beat, you beat this right now by putting X amount aside. Here's what you need to do. And Charlie Munger, what he's saying is like $100,000 may not be some really significant amount of money. It is for a lot of people. But, you know, it's like you talk to somebody who's done very well, who's multimillionaire. They said the first million was the hardest. But what it allows you to do, it gives you those opportunities. Like you just mentioned, you get opportunities for real estate, start a business, a security blanket, right? That emergency fund. And those are things I think people take for granted is the aspect of what you can do, putting funds aside. Now, there is a hierarchy to savings as far as what you should be doing with it. But you know, Charlie Munger goes on to say, listen, you save $99,999. There's something different about that than saving $100,000 just yeah. mentally. Yeah, And it I think is. that's right. Because you have confidence in yourself that you've actually done something that achieved a goal. And so I think the one thing that we have to remember is that any of these financial goals are going to be checked off little by little, right? And so start smaller goals and work your way up. But he even goes as far as, hey, if you need to walk to work, you need to, you know, everything you eat is on a coupon. Most people don't know what coupons are anymore <laughs> these days. I remember my parents had had a like an accordion little yep. filing deal. And that's where all the coupons went in for different stores. And yep. And that, that's how our shopping was done for the week. And what, See, see what you're, we not, you're not as old as I am. Brandon will remember this. Do you remember green stamps? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Green stamps were a thing when I was growing up. And, then if, and if you had enough green stamps, you could trade them in for a toaster. Oh, man. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. I think my mom bought Christmas one year on green stamps. Yeah, absolutely. But, but again, <clears throat> you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of people aren't willing to do that anymore because it's, it's, it's tough, right? I mean... You know, we've developed this whole society now of this YOLO, right? Mm -hmm. You only live once, right? Man, it's got, everywhere. We got to spend it now because we may not have it later. And, you know, I don't want to spend my time saving money now. And it's interesting because, you know, I get a lot of emails every day. And lately I've been getting a lot of emails from younger people, right? In their, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And they're like, I only have, you know, I, I, you know, I'm just starting out. I want to invest aggressively in the markets and, you know, I want to build a bunch of wealth for retirement. And I'm like, great. This is super easy. They don't like the answer I give them because the answer I give them is first step one. We're going to save 30 percent of your gross income. And as soon as you say that, they're like, oh, I can't do that. Well, but it's also not achievable for most people. I mean, realistically, most people cannot save 30 percent of their income. You can. You can, but most people... But not necessarily right away. And yeah. this is this is why the order of savings is so important. Correct. Right? Because the what we do, Danny, is that over time, we make more money. Correct. But we spend more money, right? Well, it's lifestyle creep. Every exactly. time somebody gets a pay, you know, a bonus or a pay raise, they go out and all of a sudden they, they buy a nicer car, they buy a bigger home. And then it just, you know, all the other expenses that come along with that... 
begin to just multiply. Yeah, it does. And then, but and what we should be doing is that, yes, maybe I can't save 30% of my, but here, here's the order of savings, right? So first thing I'm going to do, Danny can give me the actual numbers, but let's say I make $100,000 a year because I need easy math. It's early in the morning and I haven't had near enough coffee. So Danny, what is my max? I'm 28 years old. What? Yeah, I'm 28. What is my maximum contribution to a 401k plan this year? $22,500. Okay, what is $22,500 as a percentage of $100,000? 22.5%. So if my goal is to save 30% of my gross income, I've got 22.5% already saved by maximize, by doing my max contribution to my 401k plan at work, right? Correct. So there's a big chunk of it, right? So I'm going to fully max my 401k plan, do that on a monthly basis so I get my full match over the year, right? So that's step one. Now, if I'm contributing to a 401k plan, Danny, can I also contribute to an IRA? No. I but you can contribute, but it's not going to be tax deductible. Okay, but no, we want to stay tax deductible. If you're deductible. doing a traditional IRA. Now, we, we want to do, wait, hold wait, on a second. We may wait, want to do a Roth. Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, let's get there. So first thing we do is we want to try to maximize our, our tax efficiency yeah. up front, right? Because we're young, right? We're young. And so, but a Roth is a really good idea. I didn't want you to get too far Or the Roth 401k is actually better. Right. That's okay. But I got to pay taxes on it. And I'm okay with you paying taxes on it because correct. you're not making as much money now as you'll likely make in the future, and we're in a much lower tax bracket. That, that is in correct. general. So, if I can't contribute to another IRA, I, but I'm married, I can do a spousal IRA, right? If she's not working. If correct. she's not working. So or he. Potentially there. So I've got twenty. So when we come back from the break, I've got twenty-two and a half percent put away. I've got some options to make up that other. Seven and a half percent. So you're making this real easy. I'm going to break this down a lot more here in a minute. Okay, but I've got seven and a half percent to go to hit thirty percent, and I'm going to show you how to do it without grossly impacting your lifestyle if you're smart about it. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com all right welcome back to the show this morning uh danny and i are just talking about uh, saving up your first hundred grand to you know get started in life and you know we started talking about saving 30 percent of your income now you know look before y'all all go off the rail uh, we're using $100,000 this morning just as a, a round number because it's easy to do math off the top of my head. So $22,500 into a 401k plan is 22.5% of 100, right? So that's easy. People don't make $100,000 just getting started out. If you're 25 years old, you're probably making 35, 40, 45, depending on your degree, what type of job occupation you're in. The numbers still apply, right? I still want to try to get to 30% of my gross income. I don't live off the balance. And look, I know that's that's going to be hard, right? It's going to, you know, rent is high uh, across the country. Home prices are, are elevated across the country. Home affordability is tough, you know, but this is where you have to start making choices like, Second jobs, third jobs, you may have to do things that you don't want to do. You have a choice, right? And the, and the point about this is, is that you have a choice of 
sacrificing, buckling down, doing what it takes to build wealth so that in the future you have a lot of wealth that you can do whatever you want with, or you can not do that. And you know, if you take a look at the average work week right now, average work week is around 34 hours. Now, you go talk to any entrepreneur that owns their own business, runs their own business, ask them how many hours a week they work how on average. 34 and a half. Oh. So go What's take like? go go ask anybody, part time. Go ask anybody that's successful how many hours they work in a week. And look, that's just that's just a function of the business. And if you want to be successful, if you want to build wealth, you may not be able to just work 34 hours and 34 and a half hours in a week, right? You may not be able to, you know, you may not have this home life work balance that you're, you know, told on the internet that you're supposed to have. That may not be an option right now because of the way things are in the economy, but you have a choice and the, and the choice is, and to Charlie Munger's point, you may have to be shopping on coupons, working an extra job, doing whatever it is to get that extra money to put away in savings to build that first hundred thousand. Because to Danny's point earlier, once you build that first hundred thousand, the second hundred thousand becomes a lot easier. The third becomes a lot easier. When you hit a million, the next million becomes easier because you have more leverage to work with within the market. You have the ability to go out and make other investments, invest in other people's businesses, get them to work for you. Those are the things that happen once you have capital, but you've got to build the capital to start with. And the first 100000 is hard. It's very hard. It is going to require a struggle. It's going to require sacrifice. Nobody's saying this is easy. So back to our numbers, I've got 22.5% saved up in my 401k. Now I've got a choice between potentially doing a Roth IRA, a spousal IRA. I've got some options. That's how much. Uh, how much more is that that I can 6, put away? Sixty-five hundred. Another sixty-five hundred. That's another six and a half percent, on top of my twenty-two and a half percent. Now I'm at twenty-nine percent. I need one percent more in after-tax savings to hit my thirty percent goal. So again, you know, it doesn't take. A, the point is, is that it doesn't take a lot to get to thirty percent. It sounds like a lot. It sounds, it sounds like a whole lot. Man, I'm going to save 30% of my income? I know. It sounds terrible. But you got to do it. Well, it, and I would probably go about this a little bit differently. First, I'd that's want you. you to build up your emergency savings, number one. Yeah, That's part of it. That's part well, of your, yeah, that's that's part part of your 1%, so hold on. No, 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 no. And I get what you're going I yeah, get what you're going I'm just trying here, to use I mean, big round doing. numbers. But yes, yeah. emergency savings, totally. But, but there should be a hierarchy of, of this. You, you need to do a little bit of all of it, right? So mm -hmm. 401k, you want to contribute at least up until the match. So get the match. Make sure you're not leaving anything on the table. Understand how that match works as well, because sometimes it may be in the form of, hey, we're going to give you $500 a paycheck or every month, or it may be a, a, you know, a percentage. So make sure you're not leaving money on the table by maxing things out too early. I think that's important. And now, for most people starting off, look, you're likely not maxing it out initially. If you are, fantastic. You know, kudos to you. But make sure you're setting up the emergency fund. I see too often... We put all the funds in a 401k. Then we have what we call leakage on the back end of this, where we start, you know, there's all these little ways we can take money out. Oh, we're going to take a loan for the first, our first home. Well, we're taking from our retirement now. So let's go ahead and instead of taking a loan or a distribution from that 401k, let's build these, both of these up. We need to build up the emergency funds. We also need to build up a fund for that down payment. But I want you to still contribute to the 401k, the IRA, if you can. And in fact, I would say, Let's go with emergency savings, maxing out the 401k or, or getting up to the match, 
Then I would turn around if you have an HSA, which a lot of people do, especially younger generations are starting off. They're on a high deductible plan because they're looking for a, uh, you know, to decrease and minimize the amount they have to spend in premiums for healthcare. Go max out a HSA and do not use it. It is not a flexible spending account. It is a health savings account. You're going to be able to put $3,850 there. If you, you have not, that available. If you have it available, right. correct. Now, but a lot of people will because as you're young, you're not concerned about health typically, not nearly yeah. as much as you are as you age. So you're thinking about, okay, well, I'm going to get on the cheaper plan and you typically are going to have that ability. So if you're on a high deductible health plan, you can contribute to an HSA. Your employer will generally have one that you can utilize or you could set one up on your own. But this is money. I don't want you to spend it. I want you to save it. Now, if you have to, you have to. But ideally, you have your emergency fund set up for you need something immediately. Retirement should be for retirement. HSA is going to be used in retirement for healthcare expenditures, which we know are not cheap. So you need to think about the hierarchy of where you put these funds and have a very defined plan. I'm also a big fan. I know, Lance, you were talking yep. about pre-tax just because you're able to put a little bit more money aside as, and it doesn't impact your paycheck, your take home nearly as much. But thinking about where you are today versus where you want to be in the future it is probably very advantageous for you to contribute to that Roth. And if you, you know, what we find is that, you know, if, if you're, you don't have it in the account, you don't miss it so much. Right. And I know many of you, who, if you're starting off and you're listening or you've got kids, I, I, I get it. I hear the stories, you know, almost every day or every other day of, you know, hey, we're just trying to make ends meet. We're finally making some money, but life's expensive. So let's talk about how you get there, right? And mm-hmm. these are some of the tools, I think, though, if you start, creating these behaviors at a very young age, it's going to really set you up for success later in life because you're going to be used to this. And if you don't have that lifestyle creep, man, you talk about the millionaire next door. I mean, that's yeah. where you see it. Well, and then that's exactly the point. Again, we, you know, we were using just big, you know, big round Correct. numbers earlier just to, to make a point. You know, the point is to get to 30% of your savings, no matter how you do it, right? You know, if you're doing yeah. an HSA, you know, overfunding life insurance, I don't care how you get there, right? You just got to save the money. And, and that's the whole point. And, and that requires, you know, a lot of discipline. And, you know, I meet people all the time that they, you know, they are well into their wealth period and they're still super frugal. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and, you've created that habit along the way. And, yeah. But I think that once you realize when you it's like you said, you get that hundred thousand, you've worked so hard. It's sometimes it's, it's difficult to part with it. And so at that point, though, I think you start making a lot better decisions, much more educated decisions, because you know how hard it was to get that first hundred thousand. Yeah, that's right. And and when and that's that's really the kind of the key to it is, and that's why, you know, I'm so hard on my kids with you know making them work and teaching them to save and this type of stuff. Because once you do that, and they realize how much work they had to, you know, I have my my oldest son, you know, he he works you know 50, 60 hours a week at his job. And he won't spend money on it. He is the mo- he is stingier than I am about spending money. He won't spend money on anything, <laughs> and and it's great. You know, he's saving money, and he's you know, and the more money that he saves in his account, he sees his savings account going. He's all he's it makes him proud of that, and he doesn't want to spend. He doesn't want to touch it. He wants to keep seeing it grow. Um, you know, so that's the thing that we've got to instill is that habit of savings. And again, it doesn't matter how you get there. But you just got to do it and then make sure that as you do make more money over time, that you're not allowing your lifestyle to exceed your savings rate. And just, and the point is just to have that savings rate sitting there um, so that you know how much you've got to put away no matter how you do it. Yeah, absolutely. And what I do notice, too, is that kind of like when you start spending on credit, 
and you're like, oh, well, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and spend this. One other thing. I really That's need it now, right? That's it's a, a trap. trap. It's a vicious cycle. But it also works the opposite way. When you start saving, it does feel good. You start to see your net worth grow. You start to see. And then you understand as you've saved, you, you think about all the hard yeah. work you did. Now you're like, oh, shoot, I'm not buying that. I don't need that. Yeah. And that's and that's the trap. You know, I hear people all the time. They, you know, I have people tell me all the time. I was like, "Why well, I spend? You know, I spend all my, I make all my expenses on my credit card for the points. You know, and I get cash back, whatever yeah. it is. And that's fine. No, nothing wrong with that. The problem is you get creep into that because it's easy to. I'm gonna, oh yeah, I'll pick that up, and I'm getting points for it. I'm gonna get cash back, and it's easy to get that spending creep. As long as you're paying it off, it's okay. Yeah, right? and that it is. As long as you don't get the spending creep. Yeah. And that's the that's the whole trick though when you're whipping out a you know plastic on a credit card you're not seeing that and that's why I keep, you know paying for it's it's an old fashioned thing but when you start paying for cash and you're you're laying out stuff in cash you realize how much you're spending pretty quick um, but yeah it's fine as long as you're paying the credit cards off it's you know, it's the first time you miss a payment that that the, they get the, you yeah yeah you get the, that interest payment and then you're like oh shit. yeah twenty and uh, credit card interest payments are now twenty two percent on average because of the hike in Fed funds rate so yeah it ain't cheap. That's not cheap at all. And that's assuming you have decent credit, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Think we'll about see. all those that are out there that are in trouble. That's where you're seeing it. So we, we talked about you know how we've seen savings rates decline, credit card balances have increased significantly. I mean, that doesn't put people in a very good position. No. And, and look, and it's just, you know, this is the problem that we have inflation. And, and look, and, and I know we're talking about this and we're, we're talking about, oh, just, you know, just go out and save $100,000, right? Just, you know, work a little extra. And I, hey, look, I get it. Right now it sucks. You know, we got inflation running high. You know, it's it's you know how home prices are out of whack. Home affordable. There's there's a lot of bad things going on in the economy that make this tough. Yeah, for somebody starting off, this is extremely yeah, difficult. It's, it's it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Not it's not the you know the age I grew up in where you can actually do this and make it work. But it doesn't mean it can't be done. There's people every day that are going out there, starting a business, taking the risk, doing what they have to do. And you knew, and, and these are goals that we're talking about. It's not something, oh, I have to go do this today, like this minute. You, these are goals to work towards. And, and that's the whole point is you got to find a place to start and you have to start building towards that goal. And then that goal will lead to the next goal and the goal after that. They say, you know, uh, the, the best thing to do to, to set up yourself Set yourself up for success in life. Make your bed in the morning. You already accomplished something. First thing, first thing in the morning, make your bed. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back to the show this morning. All right, look, um, just talking a little bit about, you know, getting people kind of on the path. There's no one way to do it. There's no easy way to do it, unfortunately. Um, the stock market's not going to do it for you. And there's a whole variety of reasons for that. But if you invest in the market to take on a bunch of risks to try to get wealthy, you're going to wind up losing more money than you make. That's just how markets work over time. And, you know, we see this repeatedly over and over and over again. This happens, right? See people speculate in the markets and then it all blows up and then we have to start all over again. And that's why, you know, it's, it's always interesting. You know, people will tell you, it's like, oh, just invest in the markets. If you want to be wealthy, just invest in the markets. Well, if that worked, right, 
We've had three of the biggest bull markets in U.S. history between 1980 and now. We had 1980 to 2000, 2003 to 2007, 2009 to present. So if just investing in the markets made people wealthy, why is it that 80% of people live paycheck to paycheck? Shouldn't everybody be wealthy, right? Well, the argument's going to be that not everybody has access to markets, right? Um, everybody which, has access to markets. Well, you just open up an you account, do, but people don't do it, it, right? Or they're, they're so speculative. They and I can remember, up. it's like when I first started off in this industry, like almost 20 years ago, I would have a lot of buddies and be like, what do you think about this stock? I'm like, this is a pink slip. This is a, yeah. no, no, absolutely not. That's and it's so speculative. And most, I would say 90 something percent of the time, they lost money. Yep. And they, they may hit one home run, you know, on a little bit of money. I mean, but that's the problem. Everybody, instead of putting, you know, everybody wants, wants to get rich quick instead of doing it the yeah. The hard way. And then and then which is which is the way that most people right. are going to attain it, right, unfortunately. Right. It is. And then, you know, people say, well, just okay, well, if that's the case, Danny, just buy an index fund. That's fine. Buy an index fund. Yeah. Except when you run into this problem that you're 40 years old, you've got 20 years to retirement, roughly, and you hit a period like 2000 to 2017 where your return was zero on a buy and hold basis. Yeah. So the so there the market has doesn't give you what everybody tells you. Now, if you're in the right little section of time in the markets, yeah, you can make a lot of money. Even buying and holding works in a, in a ripping bull market. It's that 20-year period that follows that ripping bull market that becomes problematic. So it's always about the function of when you start investing and saving, right? It's always about that and how you do it. But the point is, is that you got to start somewhere. So you, gotta, you just got to start. Well, and be cautious of all these. I see these tweets and all these different people putting out and saying, well, if you only got, you know, if you you put this much away every single year and you get 8% every single year or 12%, mm-hmm. you're going to have this much money by this age. You yeah, never happens, have to contribute again. What happens when you lose 22% in a year like last oh, year? Oh, but it's never factored in, right? <laughs> That's the part that they don't tell you. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and they assume that you have a fixed rate of return. And look, if you can get an 8% fixed rate of return, fantastic. But guess what? Inflation is going to be at 8%. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to be in line with that. And then at that point, you won't be happy. Yeah, that's right. So let's talk about uh, let's let's spin this a little bit though because it's the same topic though and and you kind of touched on it earlier um, in, in terms of just financial planning. What are some of the other kind of financial planning flaws that you kind of see come along? Well, you know, I think that's that's one of them, and we've talked about this quite a bit. But using a very high fixed rate of return within a plan is something that is still as much as this industry has advanced. That's one thing that still shocks me quite a bit is seeing these really high rates of return that just aren't necessarily feasible without some type of interruption. And that's one thing that you must plan for. And so, you know, I share this quite a bit, but like last, say, November, December, we had a lot of people calling in saying, hey, we're at our Christmas party and my my coworker, their plan just doesn't work all of a sudden. Uh, you mind talking to them or, or just taking a look? Or my brother, you know, just talking to people around the holidays. And yeah, let's take a look. And you find out they never assume for bad returns. They always assume that everything is sunny and they never look at, you know, how this may actually go down. Right. Mm-hmm. And even when we're running financial plans, there's a lot of variables associated with this. And, and I think another thing that's a, that is um, within a financial plan that, that sometimes we need to look at is that a plan is considered not successful if you don't reach all of your goals. But. What if your goals, you know, what we try to do is break down wants. So we have needs, wants, and wishes. 
So needs are the things you need to have, you know, roof over your head, clothed, fed, maintain daily life, right? Um, your wants are going to be, I want to travel um, and spend X amount each year. I want to spend so much at, you know, the social club or whatever it may be. I want to go see the kids. Um, but, you know, life's going to change. What if your kids move to New Zealand or what if they move for work to England? Now, all of a sudden, things get a little bit more costly. But we also need to think about what happens when you begin to slow down. I think many people and many plans fail to account for over time, you typically slow down. So sometimes these plans just aren't realistic as far as how we they're, they're designed. Now, I do believe, in, and there's a study showed that um, independent advisors will typically do a better job than a, a big big firm. And, and the reason I, and I say this, I've, I've worked at big firms, I understand this. Clearly, I'm a little biased uh, just because we are independent. However, you know, there's no sales goals associate, associated with something. You don't have to push a product. And I think that's a big difference where, you know, I've seen seen plans in the past where you're like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Why would you do this? And they're, well, if the plan doesn't work, you know, they're not going to work with me. It's like, well, wait, that makes no sense. Your job should be to be the unbiased, you know, kind of the, the ballast here that can say, hey, guys, this doesn't work. Something has to change. How do we go and tweak this? Let's talk about lifestyle. Let's talk about when you retire, how you retire. And that's where I think many people fail because they're they're looking to make a sale versus looking to actually, you know, oh, that, provide a, true advice. That, nobody wants to nobody wants to have that conversation. Nobody right? does. But I mean, but <clears throat> I mean, I, I've sat down with people before and said, you know, you 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 can't help your kids pay for school. You can't I do know. these type of things, and they look at you like you're crazy. Well, there's a lot of great advisors and out there that, that do that. <laughs> no, but but that's what you pay an advisor for. You don't need a yes man. Yes man. You don't. I mean, you, you don't. You need somebody who's going to give you that that the truth. Right. And and why would you go to an advisor and them tell you things are going to work great? I mean, number one, I don't want any of my clients ever having to go back to work at, you know, at uh, at Walmart, you know, checking people's, you know, checking people out or being a, a greeter because their plan doesn't work because I gave them bad advice. Now, listen, there's also been times I had to tell people, hey, guys, spending way too much money. Um, oh yeah, just this one year. And then you go back and say, this has been like the last four or five years. So, you know, this is a habit. And some, sometimes we have it over and over and over again, but these are things that you want your advisor to the tough conversations. If you need them, you need them. And you need somebody who's going to be willing to have that discussion and, and then give you ideas around it. Okay. Well, Hey, this doesn't work, but it doesn't mean this is broken. Doesn't mean it's not attainable. What can we do to get there? And this is a big thing why I love it when you, we get these younger people that write in or need help because you can help them a lot earlier where you know, we talked to a lot of people who are like 55, 60, and they're like, I'm retiring in three years, two years. I'm going to call you then. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on. We still got a little bit of room here. Let's see what we have to work with. Let's see how you can, can start to you know, talk about where we're still funding funds. How do you start to mitigate taxes further down the road? And I think that the earlier you start, the better off you'll be. But yeah, that's that's there's a couple of big problems within the financial industry, and I think that there's too many yes men out there instead of somebody's willing to give you just, uh, you know, an honest answer. Yeah, but but again, those are tough conversations, and I your, don't like having them. Right, and to your point, if if an advisor is trying to you know get your business, it's easier to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, 
They're not, oh, you need 8% return? Yeah, we can get you that. No problem. You know, the market does 8% on average over the last 130 years. You don't live 130 years, but if you did, you would get 8% a year. So that's what we plugged into your plan and look, it works. Isn't, isn't it great? And, and look who did that and, and who's failed. Right. Pensions. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because and theirs they, is only a seven. Yeah, they were all, but they were all <laughs> sold on who, which money manager is going to give me the most right now. Yep. And that's why most of these pensions are in trouble because they didn't assume for any losses. Oh, don't worry. And then, Many of them, like take Dallas, for example, those guys had to go out and start taking more risk, right? They got towards the end of retirement, almost towards retirement, end of working years and said, hey, we're going to go out. Now we're going to go buy real estate. We're going to go put it in other areas to make up for these losses. And it didn't work. So that's the other risk that you take when you, yeah. when you start thinking about not being realistic within financial plans. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, closing comment? I don't know. What's CPI going to do today? Um we got a range, 0. 0.5 to zero. So if it's up 0. 0.5, uh, markets will be down 2%. If it's zero, it'll be up 2%. So there's your there's your range of outcomes for the day. So take your pick. Now, so so what about this rebalance? You know, everybody's talking about the rebalance within the the index. I know we got just a minute. Yeah, it's 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 nothing burger. Uh, you know, most mutual fund man, uh, most managers, portfolio managers will will rebalance their portfolio ahead of time. Index funds have to wait till the 24th. Yep. to index, but the market knows about it. So by the time we get there, it'll be a nothing burger. So, so no big trading opportunities? No. Okay. Yeah, it's not going to be like, it's going to be very unlikely we wake up on the 24th and the market's down 8%, right? Yeah. Because of this rebalance. It's just, the market might be down a little bit that day, but, you know, it's... it's People will be, be ahead of it making moves. Yeah. Again, you know, as, as with all things in the markets, if the market knows about it, it prices it in. So again, don't worry about the headlines too much. So we'll get there. Um, be sure by the website. Michael Leibowitz has a really great article out today talking about a recent Fed paper, talking about the end of the era of profit margin expansions and what goes on with net income and the importance of tax rates and margins. It's a really good piece about what the future may well look like for companies like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, et cetera, that have been dependent on low interest rates and low tax rates. And particularly, as Danny said earlier, taxes aren't going to be low forever. So really good paper out today on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, send your questions, comments, emails. Let us know what we can do for you. And of course, as always, we're here to help. realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.